pray. Lord, thank you again, God, for how you unite us, how you link us up with others, Lord. And we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, uh, and, and what you've blessed with Peter and Chris and Michelle, Lord. I pray that you bless their ministry. And now, Lord, bless your word, God, as we have gathered together to open your word, to study, Lord, to hear from you. We ask that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, Lord. Give us a word today, God. Lord, may we not leave here without more of you, Jesus, in our lives. So we ask for your anointing on this time, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Hey, I read about this church committee who was looking for a new minister. And there was one application and his credentials that puzzled them. The applicant turned in this resume, and this is what was written, written inside of it. I have some success in ministry as a preacher, writer, and administrator, but I am over 50 and have never stayed long anywhere. Sometimes I have had to leave the church in a hurry because I cause riots. I actually been jailed three or four times, but not for doing anything wrong. My health is not good, but I found the strength to travel far and wide. I do not get on very well with religious leaders in towns where I preached. In fact, some have threatened and attacked me. I don't keep good records, for I've forgotten the names of some I baptize. However, if you appoint me, I shall do my best, but I will not sit there and please everyone. Well, after reading this, the committee looked at one another and they all decided to give this applicant the thumbs down. Then one person asked, well, who signed this anyway? The answer, the Apostle Paul. Well, we return to our study through the book of 2 Corinthians and Paul here in our section, offers up basically his credentials, his credentials in defense of his apostleship. And it's very different from what the false teachers might expect this apostle to say. So here, Paul presents some unlikely credentials. And that's the title of our message this morning, Unlikely Credentials. We're going to be studying 2 Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 16 to 33. We're going to finish up this chapter. Last time we took the first part and ended at verse 15. And now we go on in our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 16 to 33. Now, I've broken our passage up into three parts. Number one is... This is our outline, the foolish boasting. Number two, the fearless resume. And number three, the fragile apostle. So let's begin here. Number one, the foolish boasting. The foolish boasting. Take a look with me here now, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16. It reads here, I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. We'll stop right there. Now, Paul here, he begins writing here in verse 16. He says, I say this again. I say this again. Hey, don't think I'm talking like a fool here. I'm, I'm going to be talking like this again. But even if you do receive this in that way, hear me out. He's like saying that I may boast a little. Paul, he comes back to what he really mentioned and we saw at the beginning of chapter 11 that he's forced to do something that he regards as foolish. As like, I, 
I, this, is, this is really dumb. And what is that? To have to talk about himself. To boast. And that's what we saw at the beginning of this chapter. So Paul here is asking the Corinthian believers to hear what he has to say in defense of himself. Remember, we've learned here how that the false teachers have infiltrated the Corinthian church with their false doctrines. And they're attacking Paul's character's credibility, his integrity. Many of the Corinthian believers have seen through their lives, but there's still some there listening to the false teachers. And they, they're, they're, that they're saying this, the false teachers are saying, Paul's not a real apostle of God. You know what? We are. So in these last four chapters, as I mentioned in 2 Corinthians, Paul turns now, he writes to defend his apostleship. We saw in the first part of chapter 10, Paul's address how what they're saying is like poison to the mind. And we had a message there t- entitled, The Battle for the Mind, if you remember. And then in the second part of chapter 10, Paul showed the Corinthians how to be measuring up the minister. And that's a, that was our title, the qualifications. And last time we saw in chapter 11, Paul exposed the scamming ways of the false teachers, warning the Corinthian believers to beware of the deception. We saw that last time. That was our title. So here as we go on, Paul Paul now starts to talk in contrast to the false teachers. Paul puts up and puts out his portfolio, his resume, so to speak, against what the false teachers are saying. But Paul's defense is probably not what anyone expected. These are unlikely credentials. And that's our title today, unlikely credentials. So Paul goes on to say this in verse 17. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Verse 18, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. Paul says here, you know what I speak? Understand it's not according to the Lord. What is he saying? In other words, it's not what Jesus would ever do. He would never defend himself by boasting about himself. But Paul says, what what I foolishly speak, I speak though. I do so in confidence. The word confidence is probably better translated uh, just like. He speaks just like they do, the false teachers do, in boasting about themselves. And that, that's the idea here. And seeing that many of these false teachers boast according to their flesh, that is, they're talking about their accomplishments in a worldly way, like worldly accomplishments. Paul says, okay, I'll go to their level, and you know what, I will also boast. So Paul's like here in these verses, they're like, okay, the false teachers, they boast of their accomplishments. Well, let's, let's talk then in that way. Let's, let's talk like that. John MacArthur, though, noted their boasting, talking about the false teachers, was actually worldly, he said, vain and empty based on their human accomplishments. So you can see why Paul's saying, this is foolish. You know, this is really foolish in this way. Well, Paul goes on in verse 19, For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. So Paul comes here with some straight up and with, with some straight up logic now. And straight up he says, hey, so hear me too, for you guys seem to put up or listen to these foolish boastings that false teachers do about their accomplishments. And he's like, oh, you guys are crazy. Why is that? Well, these guys claim 
uh, the Corinthian believers, they claimed to be so discerning and so wise. Remember, Paul mentioned that earlier in our studies in the book, these books of Corinthians. And, 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 and so Paul's like, you guys, you know, you guys have been operating just like, you know what, the other Greeks in the city, trying to keep up on the latest philosophies and ideas. And that was their downfall. Remember in 1 Corinthians, they, they were up and, oh, we're so wise because, oh, we're, we're Greek. We're into the philosophies and all this. So here's the Corinthian church, and some of these believers are, are, are yeah, let's, let's find some new wisdom. Let's l- listen to some new philosophies. And so they welcome these false teachers. But Paul points out the reality of the abuse that they're really tolerating. And that's what it is, abuse. Look at verse 20. Paul writes, For you put up with, you put up with it, if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. So we see here in this verse, uh, Paul lists five ways of false teachers basically that have taken advantage of the Corinthian believers. And number one, the false teachers have brought them into bondage. That's the bondage of the law. It's believed, remember, these are Judaizers, these false teachers who come in. They blended Jesus and the law for salvation and acceptance in the Lord. In other words, they brought legalism here. And legalism basically says you have to do to really be spiritual. And this is what the false teachers have brought him. Paul's like, hey, you guys are tolerating, putting up with legalism, this bondage. Number two, the false teachers were, were the ones who devours them. The word devours here, interesting in original language, it means to plunder. It means to take financially. And as we spoke about last week, these guys were scammers who really just wanted their money. You can say these guys came in to pray, P-R-E-Y, on people, not P-R-A-Y, pray for people. They came to pray on people. Number three, these false teachers were those who takes from them. Paul says, if one takes from you, you guys tolerate them. The NLT renders this, takes advantage of you. So they come in, rather than, how can I serve you? They say, hey, what's in it for me? What can I get from you? Number four, the false teachers seem to exalt only themselves. Paul writes in the fourth thing here in verse 20, if one exalts himself, you guys tolerate it. They wanted to be treated as great leaders and speakers. They made themselves out to be, remember last time, super duper apostles, right? We saw that last time. They came in scamming. Hey, we're the apostles. We're the super apostles here. Interesting, the same Greek word here for exalt that we see in the original language is used back in 2 Corinthians 10.5. It's used of those, remember, high things that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. That's what these guys, oh, we have the truth. And we saw that last time too. And number five, the fifth thing here, false teachers were ones who strikes the Corinthian believers they strike you on the face paul even says what what's he talking about well well the idea is they slap you in the face which is an insulting thing to do these guys are basically like bullies they come in and bully themselves they come in forcefully they come in doing what they like saying what they like pushing themselves just bullying people all around so all in all some of the corinthian believers are putting up with this kind of 
abuse. And they were thinking, oh, these guys are so wise. These guys are so wonderful. I think they're the ones, these false teachers, who really had the foolish boasting going on. So Paul straight up, Paul tells it to him straight, look what's really going on here. And so Paul says in verse 21, well, you know what? To our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. So Paul like makes this comment, says, well, all right, to our shame, you know, I must not have that kind of apostle kind of authority. I guess I'm too weak. Yeah? I don't do those things, so I'm weak. I'm not a good apostle. My apostleship uh, doesn't do that. So I guess these false teachers must be the real ones. And it, it flows with what we saw last time, right? But then he says, hey, if anyone that is a false teacher, if they can be so bold to boast of these shameful things, then you know what? I'm going to speak foolishly too. I'm going to talk like that. I'm going to be bold also. So Paul is trying to help the Corinthian believers see, first of all, how senseless these accusations are, how senseless these false teachers are, these, the senseless things that they're saying about he's not a real apostle, what they're saying about Paul. He's, he's weak. Yeah, he's not strong. He's not bold. He's weak. Remember, we saw back in chapter 10 how the false teachers were accusing Paul of being weak, like not, not like how they believe apostle would be, like assertive, bold, and authoritative. In contrast, Paul was, as he said in 2 Corinthians 10, 1, his, his approach or in presence, I am lowly among you, or I'm weak, right? Paul said, I come in humbleness. I come in meekness. And we learned back then that meekness is not weakness, but Paul was just presenting himself in that way. But the false teachers used that against Paul, accusing him of being weak, saying that he's not a real apostle. So that's the flow of this passage and what's going on. What's Paul saying here in what we read? Well, this is our point. Paul's saying, let me boast, quote-unquote, like the false teachers and say something that doesn't make sense. I'll boast about how weak I am. And that's what Paul's saying. Let me boast like the false teachers uh, and say something that doesn't make sense. And I'll boast then about how weak I am. You know, we, at our house, we have two cats. One, I probably told you guys this before, right? One is named Ziggy. The other cat is called Moki. Now, Ziggy and Moki are very different in their cat personalities. Ziggy is skinny cat, very bold. He generally has no fear of things. Moki, well, he's fat and he's timid. His fearfulness of things is where, I, where you get the phrase, scaredy cat. Yeah, yeah. He's typical scaredy cat. Ziggy will run across the yard with speed and skill. Moki, well, he's not so fast and coordinated and, and trips. And one, one time he was lying on a rock wall and he was like rubbing his back and all around. And he just fell off the walls. Like, it was so funny. <laughs> Ziggy, he's quick. He's, he's quick. He brought home a bird one day. Yeah, Look what I got. You know how cats do this. Moki, well, he's so fat, he brought home one of these big slugs in the garden. <laughs> So I tease them, oh, Moki, the mighty hunter there, yeah. Well, that's how the false teachers saw the apostle Paul. They criticized Paul. Paul, you're pathetic. You're weak. You're not a real apostle 
Oh, the mighty apostle? Not. Not. But that's not how Paul saw things. Paul is beginning to lead the Corinthians in this thought, to lead these Corinthians into this perspective on on a different way of seeing things. He's leading us really into what we're going to see next time. I'm excited to get into chapter 12, and next time we're going to really get into this. It's one of my favorite chapters in 2 Corinthians, and some verses in there is some of my favorite verses. So I'm excited here, but he's leading us into this different thinking. And do you see this? Paul, Paul's saying, look, it's good to be weak in things. It's okay to find yourself powerless in things. It's not bad to be in a place of humbleness and meekness. It's a good thing, you know what? To look foolish, especially in the eyes of the world. Remember what Paul wrote back in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 and 27? It says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But what? God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. I love that verse, right? Because I qualify. I'm a foolish thing in the world. The world thinks that, well, you're the foolish one. The world thinks, ah, you know what? It's okay. It's all right. That's what Paul is saying. Listen. Our worthiness is not based on you. Our calling is not based on your abilities. Your calling is not based on your your ability. You and I, what God has called us to do, like Paul, is based on God. Nothing else. God alone. Not you, not me. Nothing else. And it's all really because of what? His grace and His love working in our life. Bottom line, it's because God and His is, and, and, and his love has come into our lives and given us that chance to serve him, to be used by him, to be a tool, to be a light in this world, as we've been talking about. It's his love. One day, a husband asked his wife, Honey, did you ever love anyone before me? His wife thought a bit and then replied, No, darling, I mean, I mean well, once I respected a man for his great intelligence. And once I admired another man for his remarkable courage, and I was captivated by another man by his good looks and charm. Then she said, but you, but with you, darling, well, how else can I explain it except it was love? (laughs) Paul was not chosen because of his brains, because of his bravery, because of his beauty. It was because of what? Love, because God loved him and loves him. So remember, you know what? It's okay to boast about your weakness. It's okay to boast about that. It's okay to be foolish. But the reality is we are nothing, but God is everything. We are not worthy, but God loves us, and Christ died for our sins. We don't have the ability, but you know what? God does, and he gives it to us. That's why we can boast about our weakness. And then you know what? God gets all the glory, right? Let's move on here to number two, the fearless resume. The fearless resume. We've seen the foolish boasting and in these unlikely credentials that Paul's presenting. And now we come to number two, the fearless resume. Look at verse 22 now, 2 Corinthians 11. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. 
Okay, so here Paul goes on in response to the false teachers saying, Paul's not a, not a real apostle. He's not like us. He's not like us. So Paul's like, hey, you know what? Hold on here. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not somebody that just came from nowhere. That's what he's saying. He's writing, look, are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. In other words, if you're talking about race and language, hey, that's, our, that's what I am. I'm a Hebrew. Are they Israelites? Paul's like, so am I. You know, on a matter of homeland, what's my homeland? Well, Israel's my home too. Are they the seed of Abraham? Paul's like, well, so am I. You want to question if I'm, I'm pure in my race, if I'm, I'm really a pure Jew? Well, I'm a pure Jew too. Paul is relaying, hey, don't get me wrong. I am weak, but it doesn't mean I don't understand the Jewish ways. See, these Judaizers saying that they were pure Jews, that they were real Israelites, that they were Hebrews. They know about the law. They know about these things about God. They have the truth. They were the ones who were qualified, really, to give the truth. Paul comes back to say, so am I. <laughs> I'm a Jew, too, you know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fellow Jew. And, but, but Paul's like, but I don't operate that way. I mean, he speaks for God, not based on those credentials. What's Paul's resume? He boldly gives, really boldly gives the opposite of what is expected. Not his degree, not his achievements, not his pedigree. This is what he gives. He puts this out. Look at verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. So he asks, well, are they really ministers of Christ like they boast about? Well, let me speak as a fool does and boast about how I am more of a minister of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Remember the word minister here in original language means servant. So Paul will show how he's really the true servant compared to the claims of these false teachers. The difference between Paul and the false, false teachers is, is really seen when it comes to being a minister, a servant. I like how Warren Wiersbe put it when it came to the Wiersbe said when it came to their Jewish heritage the false teachers were equal to Paul but when it came to ministry for Christ it was Paul who was really the super apostle and not the Judaizer and this is what he's going to unfold so Paul lays out his credentials 23 the next part he says in labors more abundant in stripes above measure in prisons more frequently in deaths often. Isn't that a funny thing to put in your resume? Well, rather than laying his achievements, his awards and certificates, Paul does something completely different than the false teachers. He presents that he labors more, like he worked harder to serve the Corinthian believers. The false teachers, remember, they saw ministry as a means of being served, right? The better minister you are, they would say, the, the, the less you do. He was given stripes, Paul says, beaten and whipped above measure. That means countless times. He's been in prison so many times. We know four times that are written in the New Testament. An early uh, church writer uh, said that actually it was probably more like seven times. He faced deaths way more than the false teachers. Paul's resume is not filled with accomplishments, but with times of suffering and danger. You know, I was thinking about this. The first time I went and spoke at my friend's church in Texas, in Houston, Calvary Houston, um, 
I'll tell you, I was met, and we were met, my wife and I, with so much, like, aloha. It's like, oh, Southern hospitality. You guys get aloha there? I mean, they treated us with good food, you know, nice place to stay, drove us everywhere. You know, we, we felt like, you know, kings and queens here. But think about Paul in contrast. Whenever Paul visited a city, I wonder if Paul thought, will I get beaten again? How many stones is going to hit on my head, you know? I wonder how the prison is, you know? I mean, think about back then, there's no TV, no food served. It's just, you're, you're just standing in sewage, rat-infested, disease-ridden accommodations. But look, Paul has no shame. He, he, he fearlessly, like, this is my resume. This is it. So Paul is some more detail here in verse 24. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Now, the Romans allowed the Jewish leaders to administer their own punishment for blasphemy. So a guilty Jew would have his shirt ripped off his back. And then 40 stripes minus one, 39, which goes back to, really refers to Deuteronomy 25, which stipulates that the guilty should receive 40 lashes. But the Jewish would do minus one because the law also said in Deuteronomy, if, if you went crazy and did more than 40, then you would be punished also. So just in case, 39. And you know what? 13 lashings of a cat and nine tails would be on the back. 13 would be on the right shoulder. 13 would be on the left shoulder. Paul's saying, I faced this. I went through this five times. 195 lashings. Do you think there's scars on his back? I think so. Then Paul adds in verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. What is this? This is the Roman style of punishment. They take a bamboo cane and a rod like in Acts 16 and they beat three times. He went through that. Once I was stoned, verse 16. We know this in Acts 14. We've talked about this several times. When Paul was stoned, everyone thought he was dead. Uh, he was, you know, stoned to death. Not stoned. <laughs> Sounded funny. But, you know, stoned to death. But when he revived, he went back, right, into the city of Lystra. He was stoned to death, but almost died. Three times I was shipwrecked. One of the shipwrecks is mentioned in Acts 27. You know, I was thinking, three times, Paul, you were shipwrecked? Oh, if you see Paul on the boat, don't get on. <laughs> he says, a night and a day I've been in the deep. So one of the, the shipwrecks, he was in the water more than 24 hours, his feet dangling, right, a shark bait. Verse 26, in journeys often. Paul was basically a frequent flyer. He racked up his miles on his Bank of Hawaii credit card. He was constantly on missions trips, but remember traveling back then was not like today. It was dangerous. You walked most of the time. It's not easy to find food. There isn't like fast food places and restaurants you can go to. It was a hard life. Then he says in verse 26, in perils of waters. Water speaks about like rivers. So, so he's constantly, he faced like uh, floods from rivers. In perils of robbers. Well, it's dangerous, right, to travel. Many robber, robbers out there, you could get jumped and hurt. While in the middle of nowhere, and this, wasn't that that story that Jesus told of the good Samaritan, right? He was traveling in the middle, robbers came. In perils of my own countrymen. He was hated by his own people, the Jews. They were very violent toward Paul. In perils of Gentiles, even the Gentiles did not spare Paul. Remember in Acts 19, the mob in Ephesus uh, rioted and attacked. 
and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea. So wherever he went, whether the city, wilderness, or even on the ocean, Paul faced many dangers. Then he says, in perils among false brethren. And that's what he's talking about here. And this was a constant battle, not just in the church at Corinth, but other churches he planted, they would come in. They would infiltrate the church and try and try and get them to follow their false doctrine and put Paul down. I mean, think about how the enemy used these false teachers to really keep pounding on Paul. Verse 27, he says, In weariness and toil, like being utterly exhausted. In sleeplessness often. In other words, he goes often without sleep because of the demands of ministry. In hunger and thirst. Like, in other words, he would have little to eat or drink many times. In fastings often. That's saying many times he went to bed hungry with no food. He may have little food, but there's many times he had no food at all. In cold and nakedness. And what he's saying is not having enough clothes to even keep warm. That's plenty right there, right? That's plenty with what Paul went through. Hey, you want me to put this out that I'm weak, that I'm not strong? Hey, let me tell you about everything I face. Verse 28. Besides the other things, on top of all this, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So Paul's like, on top of all this physical and emotional hardship and suffering, uh, which was much already, he says, I have a deep spiritual care and concern for all the churches I planted and the believers who come to faith in Jesus Christ. So such as any pastors for sheep, Paul's love and concern weighed heavily on his heart. We know this, remember back in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2, when we studied that, Paul wrote, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. So what's Paul saying here in this second section? Well, Paul's like saying, hey, you know my resume? He's saying, as a minister of Jesus, I gladly go through hardship and suffering for the sake of the sheep I care about. You want to know what a real minister is about? You want to know what a real apostle is about? You want, you want me to tell you? I've been through all these things. This is on my resume. Because I'm a minister of Jesus. And I gladly go through hardship and suffering for the sake of the sheep that I love and care about. I read about the study of over 300 ministers who were interviewed about their job, their career. 66% felt lonely and isolated. 80% would experience feelings of futility. I, I, I was thinking, oh, yeah, like, like, I know sometimes, like, is this really worth it all, Lord, you know, kind of thing. Sometimes you get those feelings. 90% suffered much stress because of problems with members in the church. Many pastors in this survey said they felt very tired after 55 hours of, of work, a work week, <laughs> yeah. And just about though all of them interesting in this survey, just about all the ministers polled said that they are, listen, 95% satisfied with their work. I like that. That's Paul's here. You know, this is a minister for Christ. I serve the people. I go through all this for the people. I gladly go through the hardship and suffering for their sake, to bring the gospel, to bring Jesus to people. Paul's like that. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, he's weary. But like D.L. Moody once said, Paul might be weary in the work, but he is not weary of 
the work. I love that. In contrast, the false teachers are about power, position, pride, getting people to serve them, being a high and mighty there, and, and having that life of ease as people serve them. But Paul, he was about doing all he can, even going through hardship and suffering, to serve believers and bring them closer and, and stronger to Jesus. Where are you in this? Where are you in this? As Paul is just putting this in his resume. Is the place God has you serving him hard? I'll tell you, ministry is hard. There's great blessings, but there's great heartache. There's great hardship also. There's, there's incredible things you see God do, but at the same time, you can suffer. You can really go through it. Is it hard? Are you complaining and thinking, well, it's so bad, this must not be God? That's what the false teacher is saying. Paul's not an apostle. Look what he goes through. Yeah? He's shipwrecked. That's God. God is against him. God's trying to stop him. So he throws him in the ocean and shipwrecked. To further the kingdom is not a life of ease and perpetual blessing. And we understand that. We talked about that back in chapter 10 because we face an enemy, a spiritual enemy and worldly opposition. The false teachers, saying Paul, the false teachers were saying, Paul, you're, he's such a loser. God's not with him. He's so weak. That's why he goes through all these problems. God must not be with him. Is that you? Do you think God is not with you because you're going through a trial? We've learned that. We've, I taught you better, right? That uh, James 1 and all, right? We understand. Yeah, we're going to go through trials, but it's for us to grow, right? To get closer to Christ. Do you think that maybe God might not love you? Or maybe you don't have enough faith, as some wrongly preach. Look at Paul then. Can you logically say that God is not with him? Oh, look. He's going through all these problems, so God's not with him. Or that Paul doesn't have enough faith. That's why he's having these problems. Or God doesn't love Paul. Look what he's going through. No, it's this battle for souls. That's why we face so much opposition. And for the sake of our Lord, we keep going no matter what. Scars on our back, we keep going. I thought about what Paul wrote in Galatians six seventeen. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The scars from suffering for the Lord. Well, let's go on to our last heading here. Number three, the frail apostle. The frail apostle. We've seen the foolish boasting, the fearless resume, and these unlikely credentials. And now, the frail apostle. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 29, our last section. Verse 29 says, Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation? Paul here identifies with those who are, who are struggling spiritually. He says, Who is weak without me feeling weak too? He's like, I feel what they feel. And who stumbles that I am not like upset over that? In other words, I go through things too. I feel overwhelmed with my concern for the churches. One time I was uh, uh, honestly sharing with someone about some trials and struggles I was going to and, and my weaknesses and, and, and where I stumbled. And, and this person jokingly said to me, what? I thought pastors never get discouraged. I thought pastors never have doubt. 
Well, I do, and sorry to pop your bubble about that. But pastors are not some super saint. I mean, it's not like we can always go around and say, Oh, praise the Lord, I can take anything. Yeah? I'm always filled with joy and peace. Nah, I'm not superhuman. Probably even worse than you guys. And see, this is what the false teachers were. Well, they were the ones who were, who were saying this. Well, in pride, hey, listen to my advice. I, I, I Listen to me. Look, look, praise the Lord. I know how to get to I'm above all those things. I, would, I never go through things anymore. Well, Paul's saying, hey, I go through them. Verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father, verse 31, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Okay, Paul is saying, look, I'm not lying here. God, God is my witness. Yeah. Yeah, God is my witness of what's coming out of my heart. And he's saying, if, if I'm really going to boast, if I must, I'm going to talk about my infirmity. The word there means incapacity. So he's going along this whole idea of weakness. What an unlikely thing to put in your credentials, right? In your resume. What your weaknesses are, right? Usually you're trying to, you know, get the job, so you put on your best. But Paul's saying, hey, listen to what I'm saying. I'm, I, if I must, I'm going to tell you about my incapacity, my weaknesses. Now, you've got to understand, behind all this now, th- this is very unusual for anyone, especially an apostle or, or a public speaker or a leader, pastor like that, to say, for in the Greek and Roman world, it was all about power. It was all, all about controlling your circumstances. See, there was this idea and image that a leader, right, a great man in the secular world, and yet it, it, it came into the Corinthian church too, a great pastor, right, there was this idea that was so different from the Bible that a leader was someone who had this overwhelming presence. That a leader was someone who, who would dominate any situation. A leader was someone who, with sheer force of their personality, could take charge of the group. So Paul saying, you know what? I'm not operating in that worldly, fleshly way. Not anymore, especially, yeah. He came the opposite way, in weakness. And that is such an unlikely thing to put on your resume. So Paul, we finish up this chapter with this. Paul enters this incident as proof of his weakness as a leader. He adds this to this resume already. Look at verse 32. He writes, In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascus, with garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Paul, why would you put this in your resume? What is this? Well, he gives an example really of how the great apostle Paul handled a situation. Really, we find this in Acts chapter 9 in this incident. And uh, we find uh, some information here you put together with this. Aridas, who was like the leader or maybe governor of that region, did a favor for the Jews in Damascus and ordered Paul to be killed. There was no way out of the city. Paul was weak, you could say, in his options. But what did do, Paul do? He was able to escape by being let down in a basket through a window in the city wall. 
Commentators say this was probably the first time Paul faced this kind of persecution after coming to the Lord. And if you think about it, that's a great thought because then at the beginning of chapter 9, right, and this is the end of chapter 9, but at the beginning of chapter 9, Paul was coming into Damascus with high authority, official documents into Damascus to what? Arrest Christians, right? He was the the heavy guy. He was the big guy. He was officially coming to grab Christians. But what happened? He got saved. God stopped them, right? On the road there, he got saved. Well, after time being discipled, we come to the end of Acts. Paul did not leave in high authority, did he? But shamefully fleeing for his life, let down in a little basket. Paul was not in control. He didn't command the situation, but he actually escaped in a humiliating way. Listen to what D.A. Carson wrote in his commentary. This toast of high rabbinic circles, this educated and sincere Pharisee, this man who had access to the highest officials in Jerusalem, slunk out of Damascus like a criminal, lowered like a catch of dead fish in a basket whose smelly cargo he had displaced. I love that. I love that. So Paul left in this humiliating, weak, humble way. But either way you, you look at that, he escaped. And that's the second part of what Paul's trying to say is that God helped me escape. Yeah, I went, was let down in a basket. Yeah, I went out. Not the way I came in. But God helped me. God was with me. So what's the last point here? What is Paul saying? Well, as the false teachers pushed their apostleship by being overpowered and controlling, here's what Paul's saying. Paul's like, Paul shows his authority by pointing out how God had worked through his weakness. Paul shows his authority by pointing out, he's defending his authority, by pointing out how God had worked through his weakness. That's what Paul's about. It's about God working that's what the powers it's not in him it's not his position it's not oh i'm an apostle but it's god working through this weak man paul it's all of the lord the pioneer missionary to china in the 1800s hudson taylor right one of my favorite my heroes was once asked to speak at a large church in melbourne australia The MC introduced the the missionary in great glowing terms. He told the large church all that Taylor had accomplished in his outreach in China. And he went on and on. And then the MC presented the missionary as our, quote, unquote, our illustrious guest. Or like this highly distinguished, honored guest. Well, Taylor stood for a moment at the podium and then opened his message by saying, Dear friends, I am but the little servant of an illustrious master. That's what it's about. Like Paul Hudson Taylor was only saying that he's, he's, he's just a weak little servant. God is the one who worked through his littleness. How do you see yourself today? I want you to think about it. Just for, think about it for a moment here. You see yourself as little or big? A little servant or a big man or big person? Perhaps you've been successful in your career. Perhaps you've been successful in your business. Perhaps you've been successful in your talents and, you, and they brought you far and up. But watch out. Have you become prideful? 
thinking you are the one who did it all? Author and hymn writer John Oxenham once wrote this poem. Is your place a small place? Tend it with care. He set you there. Is your place a large place? Guard it with care. He set you there. Whatever your place, it is not yours alone, but his who set you there. God has set you there. It's all of God. The false teachers, listen, were operating in a way that they they would talk a lot about God, but they were pushing their own greatness. Is that you today? It may be hard to realize here that in God, weakness is actually a good thing. It's so opposite of maybe how you grew up. It's so opposite of the world. It's so opposite of maybe how you've been carrying yourself. But that's where we come to the place where we rely on the Lord. And then we see Him work through that weakness. And, and, and I don't want to let it out, but that's what we're going to see next time. So know this, though. Whatever you've done, it's all of God. And it's for His glory. I'll close with this. Holocaust survivor, author, and Christian speaker, Corey Ten Boom, was once asked if it was difficult for her to remain humble since she had really become so famous. Her reply was simple, and this is what she said. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey, and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises, do you think... That for one moment it ever entered the head of the donkey that any of that was for him? (laughs) I like that. She continued and said, If I can be the donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory, I give him all the praise and all the honor. Well, that's what it's about. God's glory, right? Not ours. We're just these weak people, yeah. But if God is glorified through our suffering, hardship, everything, even in our weakness, you know what? Let's put that down in our resume. And let those things be, just as Paul, the unlikely credentials. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us for our pride right now, Lord. Forgive us for being haughty sometimes and and thinking of ourselves more than others. Thinking we get them thinking we are the one, thinking I know more than them. But we know nothing. And what we do know is only from you and the wisdom that you've given us. God, let us not take credit for what you have done, but let us give credit to where it belongs. Lord, we all come before you after seeing Paul's heart and attitude. God, we're humble because we're not always like that. Paul presents his weakness. Most of the time we like to hide our weakness. But God, let us be honest before you and others. Yeah, we mess up. Yeah, we're not strong. Yeah, we get fearful and doubt you sometimes. But Lord, let people see our heart, that we do love you, that we do want to follow you, that we do want to do what you want us to do, even through the hard times even when, it, when we want to give up. And let us find there, God, you, your love, your acceptance, your strength, your power, 
your abilities, you holding us up, carrying us to help us make it through. God, we acknowledge that right now. And we thank you for that. For, Lord, we don't want it to be about us. We want it to be about you. And may you get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. We'll